Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. And welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast, episode five. I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, it's all because of you guys. Thank you so much for tuning back in week after week. Thank you so much for subscribing. I know I subscribe to a lot of podcasts, and it's always that little bit of a thrill when you see that indication that you got a new show. So for me to be on the other side of that now, to see that, you know, have people tell me that, oh, you know, I was so excited to see that your show popped up. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's, what can I say? That That's really cool. So thank you. Thank you to everybody out there that's subscribing and uh, checking in, checking the show out every week. I want to b- give a big thanks to Podcast Garden as always. Podcast Garden is the place to go if you are interested in other shows, you want to find something else. They have lots and lots and lots of different shows out there, different things you can listen to. And if you're interested in starting your own show, podcastgarden.com is the place to go. You can start it up for free. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm having a great time on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more. Speaking of more, man, I, I can't go into it yet, but I've got some, I got some big names coming up. Some people that uh, I did not expect to so readily say yes that they want to come on. But once uh, we get something nailed down the calendar, I will be sure to let you know. So make sure you uh, stay tuned. Go over to our Facebook page at facebook.com, Sample Chapter Podcast. Hit that like button so that you can stay up with uh, updates and uh, post pretty regularly on there. We do, of course, every time there's a new episode, we post it on there. We do other links for the authors that come up on the show. And whenever I get a chance to, I also make sure to put up something uh, about the author that's coming up. If I have something in advance that I can do. So tune in there. If you have an author that you have enjoyed already. That you want to hear more about. If you know an author that you want to want me to interview. If you are an author. And you have a book that's published. That's out there. And you would like to come on the show. Either send me a message via Facebook. Or you can send me an email. Through samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. And I would love to have you on there. Say you got a friend who wrote a book and it's up on Amazon and you think it'd be pretty cool to have them get interviewed. Well, yeah, I, would, I think it'd be cool to interview them. Send, them. send me their contact information. Have them contact me, whichever way works out best. And I will put them on the show. As I said in the episode one, my only thing is it needs to be published. It has to be available for listeners so that once they hear that book, they can go out and pick it up. And as always, please leave a review. Leave a review for this author. They did a lot of work. It is, as my friend Roger says, writing is hard work. So make sure you go in, leave a review for them. Uh, authors like all kinds of reviews, you know. So make sure that you go in there and leave one. Uh, if you and if you hear a book that you like and you go and you try it out and you do like the book and you, when you're writing your review, please just for me make sure and say that uh, I heard about this book on the Sample Chapter podcast. You know. That'd be pretty cool. So this week we have a very first for the show. It's our first duo. Our guest today it is Isaac and Stephanie Flint of uh, Infinitus Publishing. They are out of Michigan. Uh, they come to us through Skype. We had a had a wonderful talk. Uh, it was great to catch up with them again. I uh, knew them a couple years back here in Missouri before they they moved away. The Flints they work and write as a team. They have uh, the Infinitus Publishing that is their own publishing imprint where they put out their books under and uh, this is this is something that they run themselves 
they have a couple of series that are out there. They're doing quite well, and I'm pretty jealous of their creativity and the way that they can put things together. They have, man, I mean, they've got just all kinds of stuff that they can come up with. All right, let me give you an example before we get into the interview. They create tabletop games based on their books, and they create books based on the tabletop games. That's a little, you know, <laughs> maybe this ties in with their name a little bit, but it's like a little infinity thing that goes on. Okay, so in order to come up with a storyline, they're going to create a game, and then the game tells them what the story's going to do, uh, you know, sort of like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm totally wrecking this right now, but they have, uh, they have a lot of really cool stuff. Their newest book, Glitches, Whispers in the Code came out on February 8th. It is a book all about people with superpowers. It is a dystopian future. Uh, there are, oh man, I just too many things for me to even mention on here. But one of the things that stood out to me was some really cool superpowers. And there's a living ship, okay? And I don't mean like HAL, you know, not, not some kind of a computer thing. No, this thing's made of people. It's a living ship. And, you know, I mean, just to hear that alone, if that doesn't get you interested, I don't know what will. Now, something that's really cool, though, about this book, the book just came out February 8th, and a first for this show. It's not for the show specifically. This is something they were already doing. But if you head on over to their WordPress site, which is distanthorizonbooks.wordpress.com, sign up for their newsletter. You can get this book for free. So you can check it out, read the book. This is the first in the new series, and... Oh man, what's better than a free book, you know? And don't forget, just like I said, for me, you go in there, you sign up for the newsletter, you get the book, make sure you leave a review, okay? And if you want to mention me in there, heard this on Sample Chapter Podcast, that'd be pretty cool for me. So anyway, you know what? I'm getting too far sidetracked here, so let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Isaac and Stephanie Flint of Infinitus Publishing. to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I am here today with Isaac and Stephanie Flint of Infinitus Publishing. Welcome to the show, guys. How are y'all doing today? Pretty good. Doing pretty good. How's Michigan? Snowy. And we're enjoying the snow. It's a nice, fluffy snow. Very pretty. <laughs> you know, I, until coming up here, I never understood the song Winter Wonderland. But <laughs> This place, Yeah. Of course, we're in the upper part of Michigan where we're getting the lake effect. Yeah, so lake effect basically means we get a lot a lot of snow, but the temperature is regulated. Not usually too bad. No, I mean, here this past week we've been in single digits, but, you know, when the rest of the country was like in negatives, we were like the teens. So comfortable. Yeah, well, comfortable if you live up here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you guys and what do you do? Well, I'm Stephanie Flint. I write science fiction and fantasy. And I'm Isaac Flint, and I kind of um, help her bounce off ideas off each other. You know, do a lot of the in-developmental work together. So I'm the one that will often, you know, take her story and be like, yeah, but what about this case? Or why didn't he just, you know, teleport away and... His job is to point out the plot holes, and then my job, with his help, is to fix the plot holes. You do a lot of writing in the, the fantasy, sci-fi genre. In your mm-hmm. opinion, what makes a good story in that genre? I think strong characters are important. Yeah, and kind of going back off what I said earlier, 
is, you know, in the science and fantasy genre, you have a lot of fantastical abilities that you can't really do in everyday life. But when you're writing stories, though, you'll want to put your characters in situations where, you know, in real life, they would be tough to get out of. But in this fantasy world, they have these magical abilities. So whenever you're writing, you got to be careful to make sure that, you know, the situation you're putting your characters in, you got to make sure that they don't have the magical ability just to poof out of there. If you uh, say earlier in the story that a character has the ability to teleport, and then later in the story you have them in a situation where they could easily just teleport away, but they don't, you need to make sure you have some explanation for that or try to avoid those situations. Because otherwise, you know, you get cases where, you know, readers might sit there and ask, well, why didn't he just, you know, use his abilities and get out of there? <laughs> yeah, it's the Indiana Jones effect. Why didn't you just shoot the guy? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and this is where having, you know, that developmental thing of having someone else look at it and say, but this doesn't make sense is helpful. So consistency is definitely helpful yes. in the genre, especially because you're creating your own world, your own rules. And you mentioned the character part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, with the like the characterization, you want to have some strong characters. You want characters who are interesting, and they're acting because essentially they need to act. So like, so they have their own personal stakes involved in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, why are they here? Why are they on this particular you know adventure? Mm-hmm. Do they have any reason to be there? Motivation is key. Because not too many people are just going to go out and adventure because adventuring is fun. They might go out and adventure because adventuring is fun. Logically, it would be much more nicer if you can just, you know, sit in your little castle with a warm fire. So you got to make sure that you give the characters a motivation to go out there and do all this, you know, dangerous stuff in worlds that are, you know, inhospitable. I love that you touched on the abilities. Uh, That kind of leads right into my next question. I've read a couple of your books so far. One of the first ones I got to read was Magic Stealing. And in that Mm -hmm. one, you guys developed a a different form of magic. It was called Ribbon Magic. How did you come up with that idea? It's been a while since I developed that one. I think essentially it started off as kind of like inspired by some of the other books that I had read in the genre. At the time, I was really a fan of uh, Tamora Pierce's books. She has some different types of magic system. And I enjoyed the idea of, you know, these different essentially ribbons that only mages could see that could do different things. And each color of, of the ribbon designated like what type of thing it could do. So you had your gold ribbons for, for healing and then they could go in and heal a person. Or your lime green ribbons were for telekinesis, so they could help. They could go around and move things. And if you weren't a mage, then you couldn't see all these strange things happening. But if you were and you had, you know, magic sight, you would be able to see that. Oh, hey, there's this little ribbon shooting out from a person, going and moving something, and then going back to the person. I thought that was fantastic. It was it was really cool. It kept my attention throughout. It was like, oh, I, I didn't know, understand for a second. Like, wait a minute, what are they seeing? And then the way it tied together, I thought that was brilliant. Thank you. Um, I you enjoyed it. <laughs> and then Distant Horizon, you've got a whole different set of ideas in there with the, the superheroes mm-hmm. and their abilities. And now how did that come about? Well, that actually was highly influenced by X-Men. Because <laughs> X-Men has the idea that, you know, mutations led to powers. We were going off of the idea that, you know, those mutations that led to these people on powers was due to combination of radiation. There's these artifacts in the story that... I don't know if we cover much of Distant Horizon, but in like later books, we'll get covered a lot more. But these artifacts basically can create this radiation that can create powers, and basically, it, but basically, 
the inspiration came from like shows like you know the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe. Well, all these people had these powers, and it was because of something that was with within them and an ability that they got. And when we were doing it, we were going off of the idea that it was an evolutionary thing because the different people's powers developed on what they were around and what environments they were in. For example, the main character, Jenna, you know, even though in the beginning her powers are mute, she still has a knack to be around plants. And Tim's character, before, you know, he quit taking the pill that suppresses the powers, his powers were also linked to, you know, computers. And that was kind of the idea that the world went off of is, you know, your skills in real life would basically be enhanced by these powers. Mm-hmm. And kind of going, you know, from there, of course, if you want to go into the how we all originally developed, no, that was the inspiration. And we kind of had fun because at the time we were doing a lot of the tabletop role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And I remember... But I remember when we did some of the first campaigns, it was essentially not the canon version of that world, but we did some campaigns that were based in that universe. And I think there was one time I remember we sat down and we said there's going to be four categories. What type of power should be in each of these categories? So one of the categories was mental, and we determined that there was going to be telepathy and telekinesis mm-hmm. and a few other things. One of them was, uh, I think, reality bending, I think, ended up being yeah. one. Uh, one was elemental, and then the other was physical. And so we went in and we created a list of powers that we were thought of initially, and then that was the more, like, outside, yeah, that hands-on was, thing. But Once we got the inspiration, we basically said, okay, what are the different powers we can think of, and then we categorized them to kind of, you know, figure out, okay, what kind of characters would then have these powers? What would they do? What would they be like? You know, how these powers affect them as an individual? How can they have fun using those powers? Yeah. Because technically, the first time we uh, went with Distant Horizon, the first time that we essentially we played a what was going to be a one-shot campaign, it didn't happen to be one-shot. Which, which basically means we're going to, if you're familiar with tabletop role-playing, you can have campaigns that, you know, basically it's several games. Each game has an individual story, but they're all tied together, much like a, you know, a TV series. And then a one-shot is more like a movie, where you would basically, you would have, you know, your tabletop game, you would have your story you would put into that, but the story would be a, have a beginning, middle, and end, and it would wrap it all up all nicely at the end. So originally, we had that idea. Okay. And, and that kind of goes into, you guys create your own tabletop games as well, and that's where some of these ideas come from, or, or a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, in a very long, convoluted path, yes. <laughs> it, it's kind of become a cycle, because Distant Horizon came from that tabletop game we had. And from Distant Horizon, we gave them a game to play. And we called that game, like, I think at the time we called it Beastie Wars, because mm-hmm. in their world they had these things called Beasties. Mm. But, but we changed the name because there already was a Beastie Wars I out there. I think it was Beast Wars, or but Beast it was really Wars, close, yeah. really similar name. So, it was like, eh, let's change this. Like, I think it's Transformers has their Beast Wars, so we changed it to Battle Decks. And so we created the Battle Decks game from that story that came from a game. And then we decided, well, shoot, why don't we just continue the cycle and let's, you know, let's actually put stories to these characters in this game. So we have another story arc that came from the Battle Decks game. And then at some point during that story arc, we decided to give them a game to play, and we ended up with Phalanx out of that. Yeah. So it, it, it becomes a cycle. Yeah, in a sense, it's like, you know, 
we created a fictional world to basically make a game in, and every world has their own game, so they can, you know, dive into different levels of reality, I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. What are you working on right now? What's what's coming soon? Uh, right now I'm working on uh, finishing up the Glitch Saga. We've pretty much, we've completed the story. We've got the first one, of course, is coming out on the 8th, which will be out by the, the time this airs. Right. And then the second one will be coming out roughly two to four weeks after that. And the third will be coming out after, or about a month after that. We're currently putting the final touches on the third one where we're basically proofreading it, reading it aloud to make sure that there's no major errors and typos. And that kind of goes into like one of the things that how we do our writing. It's one of the things that we'll do since we're working together as a team. The final cut that what we'll do is basically we'll have a read aloud where she'll read out loud and I'll just basically pace in the room listening kind of because you can catch a lot of errors if you're reading your own work and you can catch errors if you're listening to someone else read the work mm-hmm. so we kind of you know take advantage of that by you know I'll be listening she'll be reading and then we'll catch a lot more of those little errors that are missed and then after that it's basically ready to go and we're basically at that stage now for the third part of the Glitch Saga, with the first one going to be out really soon. So essentially, the Glitch one is the one that's coming out the soonest, and then in the background, we're working on uh, the second book of the Distant Horizon series. It's currently out to beta readers right now, so waiting for feedback. Just put out the uh, second book of the Stone and Stream short story series, which is part of the Wishing Blade series. And that's um, out to beta readers right now. And then we have the third book in the Wishing Blade series, which I've got to go through and relook at the edits he made and his mm-hmm. developmental notes, and then start trying to fix the plot. Wow. Okay, so, so you're looking at what is this? Five books this year? Well, don't know if they'll all be out. That'd be nice <laughs> if I can get them all out by then. But uh, there's there's several we're working on that's. Kind of, it just depends on how soon we get feedback and how easy yeah. those edits are to make. Outstanding. And with part of the um, process being me involved, that kind of makes it a bit harder now, because since I'm in grad school right now, that takes up a lot of my time during the semester, so... So basically, I have to wait until the either the winter break or the summer break to hand him stuff, so I'm trying yeah. to work on all the other stuff in the meantime, mm, so okay. that we can space that out. <laughs> No way that works. But but luckily we have it spaced out well enough to where we should have stuff coming out continuously. It's just that you know, you know, I have my homework cut out for me this this summer with her books that she's going to say here now read these. <laughs> he doesn't get a break. He doesn't get a break from you know reading stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so where where can listeners find you guys? Where are you online? Um, are you on Facebook? You got a website? We have all of our uh, books and games and stuff are listed on our main publisher site, infinitispublishing.com. We'll put the dis- link in the description so that it'll be easier to follow. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we, um, I have an author blog at um, sbib, sbibb.wordpress.com. Uh, I also have a Twitter account, which is um, sbibphoto. And then we also have our Infinitus Publishing Facebook page, which can also be found. I think that's the main ones. We recently created a site specifically for the Distant Horizon universe called distanthorizonbooks.wordpress.com. But I think that's the main spots where you can find us. Yeah. Great. Tell us a little bit about the chapter that you're getting ready to read, the 
what, what's this book and uh, what's the chapter? What are we looking ahead at? We are going to be looking at Whispers in the Code, which is the first book of the Glitch Saga. The blurb for Whispers in the Code is a haunted airship made from living people. 19-year-old hacker Tim Zaitsev is a traitor, but he never expected his betrayal would earn him the highest honor among the international community, a place among the camaraderie's elite council. Ushered into a glamorous lifestyle with fancy airships and a chance to use his programming skills to better the world, Tim is assigned the task of finishing this, their secret Legion Sport project, a living airship made from shapeshifters. Inside the Legion Sport, dozens of humans have been forcibly hooked to the vessel's computer, but fragments of their memories reside in the airship's internal code as glitches. Their faces appear in the walls, and their whispers invade the code of the camaraderie's base. Tim's ability to telepathically connect with the computers means he's the only one, a or he's the only one who can make the ship fully functional. But programming a computer is one thing. Dealing with a haunted living airship will not only test Tim's wit, but his sanity. If he can't learn to trust himself and his abilities, his mind will be trapped in the Legion Spore as just another whisper in the code. So, essentially, I'm going to be reading a chapter where he is seeing the Legion Spore, which is the airship made from shapeshifters, for the first time. Okay, wonderful. And can I get you guys back on the show down the road with another book, and uh, and uh, we'll do this again? And that should be possible. Yeah. Ah, fantastic. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Isaac and Stephanie Flint with uh, with their new book. And by the time you hear this, the book will be available. So make sure you go and pick it up. And without any more waiting, Stephanie Flint. Thanks for having us. After the ceremony room is reorganized from the initiation, Val tells me I'll do fine with the legions for, and that if anyone can figure out how to work with the vessel, it's me. I'm not so sure. I've hardly had a chance to acclimate to the adjustment of my powers. Though Stuart's involvement helped, every command looping through the space and every bit of data is just a bit too loud in my head, as if one of the rebels turned up their video game sound too high. As Commander Rick leads me through the facility's gleaming corridors, the noise gets worse. I feel fear inside the walls. But how can a computer feel fear? Commander Rick comes to a halt in the basement of Section 4A, the Experimental Sector, a six-story segment added to the facility for the single purpose of creating the Legion's Four. The pair of Special Forces agents who salute us don't seem to notice my discomfort. I focus on the technology, trying to place the subtle waves of pain, and then feel the pattern Commander Rick keys into the pad by a plain metal door. A tiny bulb flashes green as he presses his thumb against the scanner. The code that defines his thumbprint pops into my mind. I could easily hack the door, not that I plan to, but I'm tempted to test the newfound strength of my power. Commander Rick's lips form a tight smile. You will have your own personal code and put into the system for official business, regardless of if you plan to use one. He creeps to my face. He's a telepath. Now that I'm in a position of power, I should really learn to block my thoughts. Agreed. Commander Rick readjusts his safari hat, then presses the open key. The thick door slides into the wall, revealing a tiny room with a single LED blinking above us. I step inside. The door slides shut. I must warn you. The nature of the Legion's Four is grotesque, Commander Rick says, though I have an idea of what it will look like. He ponders for a moment, his bushy white eyebrows narrowed in concentration, and adds, Lady Winters, as if her involvement explains everything. It does. Well, my boy, let us proceed. The door opens to a bright, tall room. I breathe sharply. The Legion Spore is ugly. There's something awkward about the mess of pink tentacles dangling beneath the Legion Spore's fleshy, bulbous body. It's three stories of dark red mass, lumpy and half-formed, and will be another five stories tall when the thin membrane of skin marking its air sac is inflated above a strange, wormy fringe of tentacles. Purple-pink fins softly ripple above the air sac and glow under the blue light of LEDs. The creature breathes of technology. 
There are two hub columns within the structure, each radiating from the center of the vessel. But this construction is different from the other hubs I've encountered. Unlike most hubs, which are focused on communication and minimal defensive tactics, the airship has powers capable of offense. There's a command center at the bow where the Prelegion's force fleshy hull is split by several thick acrylic glass windows. Multiple shapeshifters form the hull of the ship, living people whose memories were wiped and or minds programmed into a single working entity. My stomach roils and I swallow hard to keep my lunch down. What do you think? The commander asks, though I'm pretty sure he can already tell. As long as I don't think about it, I'll be fine. I have to be if I want to keep my new job. I force a smile. Impressive. Allegiance 4 technology calls to me, luring me to reach out and connect with it, but my gut instinct says there are enough minds in this contraption already. Fifty-some human and beast components, all connected by technology. Actually, the commander says, that's precisely what I want you to do. While Allegiance 4 is self-sufficient, there are still a few kinks which need to be resolved. Lady Winters was the original operator. However, her recent death leaves a position in need of a replacement. Sir, no offense, but am I really the best qualified- Yes. His taut expression remains focused on the enormous hub, a command airship first of its kind. The vessel needs someone with telepathy, beast mastery, or technosight who can ensure the program functions run as desired. I ball my hands into fists and shove them into my pockets. My uniform spikes with light as my newly enhanced powers overreact. I'm sorry, I apologize, sir. I'm still thinking like community. The commander nods absently. You have studied the interior workings of hubs, correct? There's no way I could have worked on Legion Sports programming without doing so. Yes. Then you are aware of glitches, so-called ghosts. I bite my lip. Ghosts are residual memories from the human components in the hub. Easy enough to remove, but troublesome. The Legion Spore is considerably larger, he continues. I believe you sensed one of these glitches earlier, when you said it was in pain. I nod, remembering the vague, silent whispers, the links in the walls. Then you must understand why your participation here is necessary. You will have your proper introduction in the community as the head of efficiency, but while those arrangements are being made, we may as well get to work. He smiles at me. The community is efficient. He turns toward the fleshy lit vessel. Legion Spore? Yes, Commander. I jumped at the strained voices. The Legion Spore's thoughts, telepathic, vaguely resembles that of a male AI, except this one is comprised of dozens of disjointed voices. They all echo at once, and they hurt. The thoughts radiate pain, the same as earlier. The commander rests his hand on my shoulder. Don't worry, my boy. The technology is perfectly safe. Safe? Right. I've watched too many of the Rebels' old movies for safe to come to mind. What's wrong with the Legion Spore, I asked, turning to the commander. This problem should have been solved in the creation of the hubs. Why didn't we see it before? The commander lowers his chin. That's what we need you to figure out. We need you to repair the glitches and improve its efficiency. Shouldn't be too hard, but with something of this size, new challenges are to be expected. He pauses. Legion Spore, prepare her to teleport us aboard. A tentacle extends from the Legion Spore's body, floating to a halt a centimeter before us. In a sense, the vessel resembles a Portuguese man of war with his air sac and tentacles and being made from different organisms. A grimace. The idea of being inside a sea creature is unsettling, especially one made from people. One of the rebels' less than pleasant movies comes to mind. The commander clears his throat. We have never fed community citizens their elders, he tells me, humored, blasted mind reading. Now, if you will. He touches the tentacle and I lay my hand behind his. We're teleported inside the vessel. The lights are dim, a warm, deep red ambience that softly radiates from the lumpy flesh of the Legion's force inner hole. The air pulses with the heartbeat of several dozen components, coaxing me to relax even while my hair stand on end, tingling with an innate sense of wrongness, like I'm oblivious to being devoured alive. 
Welcome, Masters, I said. A shiver runs down my spine. The voices seem friendly enough, or computer, but I'm not used to the welcome. Even hubs, which are intelligent, have no inflection or emotion to their voice. This one does, but the voices resemble someone repeatedly poking the back of my head with a sharp stick. Thanks, I say uncomfortably. You're welcome, Masters, I said. You are to be our primary programmer, correct? Close enough. I glance at the commander. Should I try establishing a connection? In a moment. Commander Rick strides down a small hall. He beckons with his hand over his shoulder. Let me show you around. He leads me through the corridor, which is covered in dark, flesh-like substance. If I reach out with both arms, my fingers should almost touch each side. Not that I want to. At the front of the vessel is a command center. A single ivory chair with blood-red velvet cushions has been situated in front of the rounded desktop. Carvings of abstract patterns run along the ivory, obviously an addition from Lady Winters, given the fleshy appearance of everything else. The majority of the desk surface is musculature provided by shapeshifters, provide, or save for the plastic keyboard at the center. Two computer monitors are inset on either side, but the front opens to several clear angular windows. Having seen the outside, I know they're one way. I can see out, but others can't see in. Commander Rick lays a hand on my shoulder. You may link directly with Technosite, or the Legion's Spore can create a telepathic one. Either way, you will command the vessel mentally. Go ahead. A knot forms in my throat. I close my eyes to focus. The technology shimmers, fingers length out of reach. Each stream represents another command, another program, and I visualize them in my mind. A tickle of pleasure races through me. There they are. Codes, just waiting for activation. My fingers itch, but the shifting numbers are more important. That one, the one mingled with various side notes. I recognize the programming. I float into the stream. Bits of code and electronic circuits circle around me. Communication. I tap the program and I'm flooded with calm nothingness. No emotion. We see everything and nothing. Contradictions. A still prison surrounds us, cramped compared to the open air we anticipate will be outside. Lights tingle with electricity, useful if we are attacked. All systems operational, but something doesn't function properly. Our shape-shifting. Something is not aligned. Painful. So much pain. I gasp, physically tugged back into the real world of the odorous vessel. I take one shallow breath, and then another, my heart pounding. Are you alright? Commander Rick blocks the outside view behind his massive shoulders. I'm shaking. My skin is clammy. I've got to regain my composure. I can't look weak. I can't... I lick my lips, then realize I'm clutching the efficiency charm in my hand. The smooth emerald pendant brushes under my palm. I release the charm and glance at the commander's eyes. His face is wrinkled with concern, but there's also scrutiny. The connection will take some getting used to, he says, his voice stiff. Try again. I don't want to. I'm not strong enough. For a short moment, I was the Legion's for. That was Isaac and Stephanie Flint of Infinitus Publishing reading their newest book, Glitches, Whispers in the Code. The book is out now. just came out February 8th, so hop on over to distanthorizonbooks.wordpress.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and you can get this book or free. Uh, it is a limited-time offer, so if you miss out, you're going to have to go on over to Amazon or wherever you buy books, and you can get your copy then, so hurry on over. I will have their other links in the show notes. Make sure that you like us, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Wherever it is you listen to the show, give us a little review. Five star, four star, wherever you think we're worth to you. Hope you're getting everything you want out of this show. And we will see you again next week. Bye.